my friends, the great experiment. You will address me as commander. Hidden trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick. trick. But your people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. <laughs> ben Harrison. I was worried for a second there. <laughs> my mind and my heart is kind of broken by today's episode. Something happened today for the very first time. I had watched an episode of Star Trek and then I went into my home uh, where my wife was. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> You say that like I went into a cave where a yeah. bear was. <laughs> and my wife noticed that I was very upset. Yeah. And usually I'm watching Star Trek and and making jokes with you, and it's like uh, a fun time. Not a fun time was today. Wow. Dude. I, I was very affected by it. Yeah. This is a heavy Does episode. it look like I've been crying? Look at my red eyes. Yeah, you're a little puffy there. Yeah, more puffy than usual. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a heavy episode. Fortunately, my wife is not home today. She's out celebrating her birthday. <laughs> we're <laughs> we're recording this on my wife's birthday. I've uh, I do have a heart out today. I gotta go uh, take her out to pizza for her birthday. Hey, that's nice. Yeah, I was offering to take her out to sushi, and she said that's too expensive. I don't want that. And now I'm wondering if that was a trick. Oh, no. Should I have gone for the sushi? Birthdays are impossible. You and I were just talking before the record about what a Kobayashi Maru, the the partner's birthday is. Yeah. You think things are one way. You think expectations are a certain way. But do you ever really know? You don't. And there's not really, as far as I can tell, a way to alter the program to change the conditions of the test. No, there, there are no amount of apples that make my wife's birthday better. <laughs> I could tell you that. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like uh, New Year's, you know, like when, when I was like 16 and it was Y2K, the stakes impossibly high. This is going to be the biggest New Year's ever. And for some reason, after the absolute catastrophe that was that night, I never learned the lesson for like 10 years after that. Like I was probably like 27 before I realized like the best approach to New Year's is like set very low expectations and let fun things be fun if they're fun. And like, don't worry about it if you don't have the greatest party in the entire world, you know? Would you say that ever since then, like that's been kind of the thing for you, like getting those expectations low to live a better life? Yeah, I mean, I if I was a smarter man, it would have been ever since then, but it was right. it took me a lot longer. It was 2012. Yeah, it was a second end of the world. <laughs> I remember being so disappointed that the lights didn't even flicker at yeah. midnight Yeah, when it turned into the year 2000. Not even a flicker. It really seemed like there should have been a flicker. Like somebody at the power company should have flickered, right? Just for funsies. Oh, that would have been great. That's like one of the all-time great bits. Just kidding. <laughs> you know how obnoxious it is that every fucking insurance company has their own funny commercial universe? Like, 
that's how the power company can get in on it. You know? Yeah, right. Hey, we're the power company. <laughs> Pretty funny, right? <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, like a grandma on a ventilator kicks the bucket yeah. because of the, <laughs> the the hospital's backup Jenny didn't turn on quite as quickly as it needed to. You know what? If I died in a bit-related accident... That would be appropriate for us, you know? I think so. Yeah. Especially if it were just mid-funny. Yeah, like, not a great joke. No. No, I mean, I'd love to go out with a great bit, yeah. but not going to happen. Don't try to tell a great bit. Just try to tell a bit. Let history sort it out. It's rhetorical <laughs> nonsense. That is a great note, Ben, and a great pivot into our episode today, where we will act as history. Mm. And The first draft of history, anyways. We're going to decide whether or not this episode is a great episode. I've got some thoughts on it. Let's get to it. Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Episode 5, The Final Season, Imposters. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Self-discovery. We're back to Normsies. The uh, Titan has inched its way into Federation space, presumably. The bridge crew are tired, but they're toiling away on repairs. And then Jack Crusher shows up and you know, goes postal, I guess, would be the most politically incorrect way to talk about it. I'm not going to kill anybody. I don't want to kill anybody either. He executes every motherfucking last one of them (laughs) on the bridge. (laughs) He goes Vatic is what he does. (laughs) I was thinking about the construction of this scene and why the command crew isn't there. And I think the reason for that is evident, right? If the command crew is on the bridge and they're executed, you know immediately that it's a fantasy. Yeah. But by having them absent, you can't be sure that this isn't real. Right. And it's played for real, right? Like they have little quotidian conversations about the status of blah, blah, blah before he shows up. Yeah. It doesn't set itself up as being fantastical. But uh, the kind of climax of this scene is... Esmar, the lady with the sort of greenish loaf, saying that she knows what Jack Crusher is. And it had not hit me until this moment that Esmar is the same type of alien as that lady in Aquiel that Jordy had the crush on. Oh! I guess I'll be going to Starbase 212 for reassignment. Total bullshit, man. It's just bullshit. Who was slightly telepathic, right? Good call. Yeah, so maybe... People don't think Greatest Trek is a smart Star Trek podcast? (laughs) You want evidence? There he sits. He is smart. Well, it took me five episodes. I don't know how smart I am. (laughs) Great callback. Yeah. Yeah. But I wondered, like, does she actually know something about him? Like, is... Because there, there's another moment in this yeah, episode. Yeah, you see her, you see her like in the deep background in the corridor, like sort of side-eyeing glaring at her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, that this is a fantasy when we're back in Jack Crusher's darkened quarters, and you can't see what he's gripping so tightly below frame. <laughs> there's a moment where he's in the dark, and you're like, God, is this... Yeah. Is this your idea of sex, Jack Crusher? Yeah, what was simulating the, the grip of the pistol? Uh-huh. What did he have in his hand? I wasn't aware that Jack <laughs> Crusher had been issued a phaser. Yeah. 
or that he had access to one, but he drops this thing out of his hand and uh, his eyes do that red glow that Teen Wolf's eyes do mm. when he's about to turn, right? Yeah. He keeps having the red door vein fantasy and uh, yeah, it's really upsetting and they seem to be getting longer and, and more intense. Yeah. We hear a very crystal clear voice, which I think you're right about being the voice of Vatic, right? Telling him to come home. Come home, Jack Crusher. After the title, we get a Riker's log, and it just feels like a nicely worn-in shoe to hear a log from Riker, right? Oh, man. God, it's been forever. Yeah. I have this pair of shoes that I've had, like, resold and refurbished, like, three times now. Yeah. I'm about to send them off for their fourth Mm. When they come back and they got all new grommets and like all the stitching has been looked at and they've been buffed, but the the insole is brand new. They're like worn in, but also a new shoe. That's kind of how that felt. I've never sent in a shoe to be resold. I should do that. Got to do it. I mean, I think it says a lot about the level of footwear that I'm wearing. I think you've got a couple of pairs of footwear that could be resold. I've seen you in footwear. These are things made out of leather, like boots and stuff, right? Yeah. All right. This can happen for you. I believe in you. I kind of stopped wearing boots since moving from Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of boot weather in LA. Lately, there has yeah. been. <laughs> yeah, I should have put them back on, huh? So we get a little McLaughlin group. Issue one. About the situation with... There being golds on board. How the hell did a changeling get aboard this ship undetected? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out. The kind of weird political implications that that's going to have for Starfleet. Like, they're going to have to go talk to Starfleet about what happened. And the the fact that Riker and Picard sort of shanghaied the entire ship is going to look very suspicious in the context of golds. But they're ready to do it. They're ready to go answer for this. And uh, this is a scene about kind of Riker throwing the keys back to Shaw, and the second they land in Shaw's outstretched hand, his hand turns up into a middle finger, and he tells them to sit and spin. This is kind of a useful distraction, right? Like, I've told the story before of the earthquake during the German test, like, (laughs) kind of being a useful distraction for the proceedings. Right. The whole changeling problem, you could see kind of working out in their favor, like, I know we're in trouble. (laughs) However, (laughs) what do you think of these jangly keys? Right, right. I mean, it's like Kirk and crew coming back to stand trial for the Genesis explosion when a whale probe shows up and and needs to be dealt with. Yeah. I like Shaw here, and I like Shaw for the rest of the episode just being like giddy about getting these fucking guys off of a ship. <laughs> I'm going to step outside so the three of you can get your bullshit story straight. Shaw is starting to seem more and more like the Charlie Brown of this season. Like every time he thinks he's getting what he, he wants, every time he thinks he's going to get to kick the football, yeah, the show pulls it away from him. It's true. Picard is getting ready to accept all blame everywhere for the crimes that have been committed. and A lifetime sentence in a Federation prison for me would be six months. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to fill out and send in the warranty card for my golem, and therefore <laughs> I'm not terribly worried about it. Yeah. 
hey, this is just another moment to drop in that, uh, you know, maybe Laris should be told <laughs> while people are taking care of their affairs that maybe Picard will be going to a Federation prison yeah. and to maybe finish packing up the house on her own. Mm. Well, if you're into Laris type women, Adam, this yeah. is going to be a big episode for you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just got the chills. <laughs> so uh, he also makes this reassurance to the Crusher family, and Beverly asks for permission to conduct an alien autopsy, which Picard, not being in the chain of command anywhere, is in a permission to grant. This is something that Riker is very enthusiastic about in a way that f- doesn't feel like acting for Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> no way. <laughs> He's lawyer Picard. He's not stressing. No. He's recruiting. He's like, you know, many a rebel from all reaches of the galaxy have found their way to Starfleet. I love Jack Crusher here being like, you really haven't been listening to a word I've said. Like, this truly has been all about you in terms of, of us getting to know each other, right? Yeah. Yeah. The moment does help us recall in the context of this that... Picard does sort of speak the truth about Starfleet's embrace of famous rebels that we've known throughout the years. It does. It's a real, like, uh, Starfleet needs your kind of captain right. energy. Right. Back in the La Serena, Worf and Raffi are sparring with melee weapons in a scene that kind of recalls all of the fight training that Worf used to do on the D, where Worf would just kick people's asses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I liked it a lot. It also sort of recalled the uh, first Christopher Nolan Batman movie, like getting oh, yeah. trained by Liam Neeson. To conquer fear, you must become fear. The sequence here looks very similar. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. I kind of thought like last episode, presumably they were like en route to the Daystrom station because that's yeah. sort of where we left it. But they're not. They're still on uh, Metallus Prime or whatever. They cut to the exterior of the La Serena and there's just parking ticket after parking ticket under the wiper. Oh, yeah. Like a Denver boot on the port yeah. nacelle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They've asked for permission to go to Daystrom. And I guess they need right. some special type of access because it's a very like locked down, hardened site. And they've been denied access, which... It's really hard to interpret it as anything but the bosses like not wanting them to get a lead, not wanting them to find right. out what's really going on. And Ren Raffi is like wrung out at this point. She is donezo with Starfleet's bullshit. I'll break in there myself if I have to. We are standing down. No. And Worf seems kind of done with Raffi's bullshit. Like they don't seem to be compatibly excited by the idea of this conspiracy. Right. Raffi goes off on this, like, you have no idea what I sacrificed, Jag, which really pisses Worf off. And I think that's very interesting. I'm really curious to learn what sacrifices Worf has made for this particular mission. I think he doth refer to sacrifices too much. I'm really at a loss for what he could be talking about here. I can't think of a, like, career (laughs) sacrifice he made for his family ever, so... I can't think of a sacrifice he wasn't willing to make for duty. (laughs) Yeah. He sacrificed his brother's frontal lobe for honor. Uh Uh, He sacrificed (laughs) his son's 
well-being for sure. his career. Alexander and I were never close. Girlfriend after girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, he sacrificed his idea of sex. He sacrificed his dignity to participate in that cowboy adventure. And then again, to lead his adoptive brother's people to safety in the holodeck. He sacrificed dandruff hair. <laughs> it works. <laughs> so who aside from Sneed knew about this heist is the question. And there's one other name on the list, and that's the name Kryn. We don't get a photograph of Kryn, but... Uh, they're going to go down to District 6 and shake the trees. And they they take a very unsubtle approach to finding Crin. Listen up! We're looking for Crin. This scene made me crazy. The the whole revelation of Crin. Crin, whose file is such a perfect suspect for what happened at the recruiting station, was like, why didn't they start there? Titus Ricca? <laughs> Was a low-level idiot. Yeah. Crin like, knows how to break into places and is, like, a boss in this crime ring. It's very frustrating. Uh, <laughs> the other thing about it being, like, that Worf just constantly has, like, a new guy that they can go after whenever the trail seems to run cold. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot of their time on Metallus feels a little bit retready, like, through yeah. the same... Walkways, through the same alleys, yeah. in the same areas. Through the same, like, murder site of Sneed. Right, yeah. So, they're going to head down there. Meanwhile, the USS Intrepid is showing up where the Titan is to uh, deliver some Starfleet security people. This is the ship that Starfleet dispatched when Shaw let them know what was afoot on board the Titan. Yeah. Titan, this is the USS Intrepid. Power down and await further instructions. This ship looks great. Great looking ship. And I love how we luxuriate in this sequence for, you know, extra seconds. Yeah. If you need them. I love a shot that frames the entire ship within the shot. And I love a couple of ships within the shot. Like there's one of the Titan just being repaired and you can see little like specks moving around it. And I don't know if those are worker bees or people in spacesuits or what and i love that i don't i love that it's it's such a wide shot that isn't just like hey look at what we can do with special effects now now we'll go to a (laughs) close-up it seems to be intentional with the hey go ahead and use this as a computer background like (laughs) like it's totally framed up yeah (laughs) all of these shots this is in 4k your wallpaper is gonna look real nice The Intrepid orders the Titan to heave to and prepare to be boarded by this shuttle full of security officers. And in this moment, Picard tells Riker that he's going to have to ask him for a favor. That favor seems to be, hey, can you come with me for this interrogation? Because I don't want to do this by myself. (laughs) So they hop into a turbo lift with Shaw. And Shaw is like bubbling over with happiness that he's finally going to get these fucking guys off the ship. And he has all these receipts as to why he's so happy to get them the hell out of there. And Picard's like, why are you mainly referencing some of our lesser films? <laughs> I mean, Devron System was the series finale. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, but the other two were Generations and yeah. Insurrection, right? Yeah. Those were the days. And why are you not referencing anything Will has done? <laughs> <laughs> so they're heading down there and they get into 
the hallway outside the shuttle bay and who should be slow motion with explosions going off behind her walking down this hallway. Rolaren. The turbo lift door opens and it just sounds like a giant pane of glass hitting the floor. (laughs) There's like a bunch of like crane shots of the entire arena of fans holding up signs. Yeah. People are freaking out. And the signs seem too good to be homemade. They're just like perfectly legible. You're like, did they distribute these signs to the fans as they showed up? And who in the crowd is bringing cans of beer to throw up for the wrestlers to drink? Yeah. Most arenas don't sell them in the can format for this reason. I had read on the socials that there were special cameos this season that were unannounced. And I didn't even dare whisper this into existence. Like, I didn't even hope for this. <laughs> so I was totally, totally surprised. To see Rolaren here. Yeah. Were you? I was shocked. Absolutely shocked. I mean, I think the thought had crossed my mind. Yeah. This might be an opportunity to see her. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Rolaren knows how to make an entrance. and I mean, she knows how to make an exit too, because the last time we saw her, it was not great. She went to go be a Mayqueez. Mayqueez? And she basically did it at Picard. Yeah. Well, that's certainly true. She she comes back into the cannon with potential treason charges. She's a commander now? What the fuck? Like, there are a lot of unanswered questions here. Yeah. And like with the whole changeling thing running in the background, that's another element to this appearance that just doesn't feel quite comfortable. It doesn't. The implications of that are very clear very quickly. Also uncomfortable is how tight Shaw's pants have become when Roe throws around treason (laughs) as one of the possible charges for these guys. Did you see him in this scene? Like, (laughs) There's like a dirty shot of Picard and Riker and then the back of Roe and then the corner there's Shaw and he kind of closes his eyes like, Treason. (laughs) That's the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. He starts like rubbing his nipples through his uniform shirt. Seven of Nine has brought a gym bag over to Jack Crusher's quarters and asks him to get changed. He's very upset because when he looks at the bag, he sees that uh, it's a command staff uniform that she wants him to get into. And uh, he's just worried about like the stolen valor issue, I think. That's up to you, Charlie, but you might consider cutting the kid a little slack. I mean, I think he also believes himself to be more of a gold uniform person Mm. than Command Red. Right. So there's a variety of reasons that Jack doesn't want to wear the uniform. And I think one of them is he doesn't want to be mistaken for being in Starfleet. And also that horrible waking dream he had in the cold (laughs) open, right? Yeah. He doesn't want that to have actually been a premonition. Yeah. So getting into this uniform like sets more conditions for... Him going and murdering everyone on the bridge, which he'd like to avoid if he can. Over in Six Bay, Beverly's autopsy of the changeling is happening with Oak as the assistant, and Crash LaForge is there too. And she releases an amount of vomit onto the floor upon seeing her birdie. That is, you know, they thought a lot about what this should sound like and how much it should sound like. Yeah. 
It sounds like she loses her entire lunch here. Yeah, and breakfast and maybe last night's dinner. Like, it's disgusting. (laughs) If you're going to boot anywhere, you should make it in in Six Bay, right? Yeah. They're used to this kind of thing. So they start the autopsy, and now they discover that this changeling can bleed. It cuts like meat. It bleeds like meat. Probably tastes like meat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let's grill it up, see how it is. It's not cannibalism if it's a changeling. Well, no, for sure. I got a hot plate. I'm going to get some beers. This dialogue here is great because <laughs> the conversation's like, it could pass the traditional blood test because it has blood, but it also has no DNA, which would... I've got a question about this. <laughs> so this... There is a traditional blood test that you need to take to, I don't know, like... Except your orders to board a starship. And this, you can pass a blood test by having blood but no DNA. Yeah. Yeah. Get a life. If the point is to confirm identity, then (laughs) why aren't you using DNA? This is an idiotic form of screening is what I'm saying. I have two words for you. Thomas Riker. (laughs) All right. Yeah. I I guess it doesn't matter. Yeah. The DNA part of it doesn't matter. I mean, maybe... If clones are everywhere. Maybe DNA is easy enough to spoof. I don't know. I don't matter. (laughs) I'm not in this blood. (laughs) I wasn't invited. We cut down to the uh, observation deck where Picard and Riker are ready for their interrogation and... Roe hasn't shown up. They've just been sort of like brought there, it seems like. And Picard is still fucking ripshit about Roe Laren. How the hell is Roe Laren back in Starfleet? It's better than prison. It's an interesting bit of business between the two to have Riker being the it's not a big deal guy in this conversation. (laughs) Like, shouldn't it also be a pretty big deal to him? Yeah, I mean. This is what makes me think this is Tom Riker. Dang. Were you noticing some uh, peeling away at the jawline of, of his beard? I don't know. For Riker to defend Roe in a, well, you you should have seen it coming, Yeah, Jean-Luc, is an interesting position to take. And Picard, I think, rightly assumes that they're not going to get a fair shot in what is sort of a court. There does seem to be some concern about how even the hand of justice is going to be at this point. And lawyer Riker wants to do all the talking. And uh, <laughs> that is uh, not going to be on the agenda as far as Commander Ro Laren is concerned. You will be questioned separately. Please escort Captain Riker out. It's interesting that Roe and Riker's accidental romantic relationship isn't a part of the subtext here at all. Yeah. We might regret this. Regret what? That's part of what makes this entire scene so uncomfortable at the beginning. It's because Roe is so professional and so mission-focused that there's not even... You would assume if you didn't know any of these characters that they were strangers to each other. Right. But this scene played really different for me the second time through in a very like fight club kind of way. Like the way she's behaving, the way she wants to isolate from them from each other, the 
strange measures she's taking of of like using the shuttle and stuff. Yeah. Come across so suspicious the first time you watch it. And then the second time you watch it, you're like, she is doing everything she can to protect herself and to try and establish who is and isn't the gold. It's really satisfying the second way through. You're it, right. It really is. So like once Riker and the rest of the detail are out of the room, she proves that she's not a gold, but she still doesn't know about Picard. Right. And it's fucking so tense because like the questions aren't about the Shrike. They aren't about, it's like, why did you steal a ship and what's going on with your son? Tell me about him. And Picard's like, I barely know the guy. The sequence of events is so well done as well because for this scene to happen after the scene in Six Bay about the blood makes the scene where Roe cuts her palm insignificant. Yeah, it's like, who cares? It, it does not mean what she thinks it means. Yeah, but to Picard at that point, who doesn't yet know about the autopsy, it does. Right. So back with Jack Crusher, he's hearing the lady's voice again, and she's asking him to find me and connect us and don't go faster, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fucked up because the voice sort of sounds like his mom now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what's so difficult at the time is like you think you're doing a good job, so you should do that good job even more intensely. That's actually the opposite of what you should be doing. That's the, that's not what helps in that moment. Yeah. That's not going to make yeah. the vain fantasy yeah. go any better. That's not going to make the branches grow. <laughs> so he's like in a really bad way and stumbles out into the hallway and like just goes through the first door and into the transporter room and the the crew are all being beamed over to the intrepid he like has the the vain hallucination of the crew people that are being beamed away and his eyes are all red again it seems like they had a painful beam too during yeah. this fantasy yeah like a agonizer beam this is the problem with not telling the crew about the changeling problem right because this transporter tech is like Hey man, everything all right? You good or whatever? And this scene would play out totally differently if everyone had clarification on on what may or may not be going on. Right. W slash R slash T, the changelings. I thought this transporter chief really reminded me of Tim Robbins. Yeah. And I think especially when he's playing upset, the actor that plays Jack Crusher looks a lot like Elon Musk to me. <laughs> Oh, don't ruin him. <laughs> and so this scene just looked like Elon Musk and Tim Robbins like having a conversation for a second. Edit that out. <laughs> How about new? I don't want that out in the universe. <laughs> Ed Spieler seems like a, a pretty cool dude. <laughs> I'm not saying there's anything bad about it, but he just kind of reminded me of him in this yeah. moment. Yeah. I think it's great casting for Son of Picard. I do too. I think that when you're having intrusive thoughts, the way Jack Crusher is, the way he fantasizes about murdering everybody he interacts with, yeah, I think it's time to get into a therapist chair, talk it through. You know, yeah, that's my that's my thought. Maybe maybe Jack Crusher doesn't need an alien autopsy. Maybe he needs therapy. I don't think that's going to help <laughs> <laughs> for this particular problem. Yeah. Help on a lot of other cases, though. Down on Metallus Planet, Kryn makes himself known. There's been a lot of like Raffi yelling into the wild blue yonder for Kryn to come out and play. 
I do really love the new sheriff in town vibe that they carry with them <laughs> into this place. But I mean, their upper hand isn't as upper as they thought it was, right? Because yeah. like laser sights are trained on them and Kryn appears. And Kryn is a Vulcan. <gasps> and he's wearing an Idic necklace the size of a Flavor Flav <laughs> alarm clock. <laughs> Yeah. Around his neck. He wears the idic so you can know the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a logic gangster. He sees right through Raffi's mobile emitter gambit. I saw that mobile emitter too. So Oh, I didn't pick it up. I, I saw that shit. I saw she nice. was wearing something on her shoulder. Very observant. Yeah, we had just gotten through an episode of Voyager where they're wearing those things that suppress their bio field mm -hmm. on the Borg ship. Mm -hmm. So. I thought it could be something like that. Oh, yeah, I was on that episode. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we had you in for that one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is bad. This is, uh, he's really got Worf and Raffi dead to rights. And what did we learn? Pride leads us into traps. Yeah, I mean, that their real positions are so easily found. Yeah. This guy, Kryn, is good. Yeah. Which is why they should have picked him up first. Yeah, she's up in like a high position with a sniper rifle and Scotty comes up there. <laughs> yeah. Catches her. Back in Six Bay, the autopsy continues and these guts are so realistic. You got to cut them up individually to get them to revert to the goo. Yeah. The changelings have evolved, Adam. Yeah. They have a new skill. They could be uh, anywhere... Everywhere, many at a time. <laughs> they could even look like a rock with Google eyes on it. Yeah. The takeaway here is pretty frightening that no security measures that they've used up to this point could have stopped them. Right. And so there's no way to tell how many of them are aboard or are anywhere. Right. The fact that they've killed one doesn't make them safe at all. Right. Back in the ready room, Rolaren continues her interrogation of Picard, and he is totally incredulous about why most of these questions are about Jack, why these questions don't seem necessarily relevant to him. And that's when Beverly blows in a call about the test results that are ready for him. Another paternity test <laughs> is what he tells Ro. It, it's been a big couple of days. Yeah. And because matters of medical privacy are respected <laughs> all across Starfleet, Roe kind of turns her back to the screen yeah. while Picard gets his results. He says, I don't know, Jack. Let's see what else I don't know. <laughs> he gets a very brief text from Crusher basically saying what she has discovered in the autopsy, which is that the golds can look like anything and fool people for real humans and pass the blood test now. And again, trust no one. I, right. I don't know how many episodes in a row I need to remind you not to trust anyone. This is actually Beverly Crusher's email signature <laughs> and text message signature that goes out with every message. Uh, right. So I actually wouldn't read too much into that. Yeah. Given what Roe has been acting like and what she just did with the knife in her palm, yeah, only ratches up the tension. 
she wants to see the body. Like he's he's like, how the fuck are you even in a Starfleet uniform right now? And she yeah she explains how she's been like rehabilitated after her brief stint as a terrorist. You know, you should actually talk to Jack. He does not believe he's good for Starfleet, and yet look at you, <laughs> a great example of rehabilitation. <laughs> A double rehabilitation. <laughs> double rehabilitation across the sky. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, and if you get Jack Crusher, it's a triple rehabilitation. <laughs> Whoa. That's so intense. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Man, that goes down as like the most wholesome viral video of all time. Just that guy yeah. having a great fucking day. Drugs can make you feel good. Hell yeah. That rules. Yeah. Anyway. I hope that guy's doing all right wherever he is. Yeah. Up on a mountain somewhere. He he's totally fucking milkshake duck. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Picard gets to ask a bunch of questions in this scene, and one of them is like, why did you do what you did? And this becomes very personal. Like, the you betrayed everything that Starfleet stands for accusation does not land well with Ro Laren and never has. Yeah. Blind faith in any institution does not make one honorable. I mean, that's when she whips out the phaser, right? Right. She's like, why don't we continue this in the holodeck? Yeah, because they're like going down to look at the autopsy results. But she's like, before we get up in them guts, why don't we go into the holodeck? And the 10 forward program is still running because they already built that set. Yeah. So Picard thinks he might safety protocol her to death. And apparently there's like a button under the bar <laughs> that toggles that on. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to say this in the last episode, but I think some of my favorite pieces of set design on the show are these light fixtures hanging above the bar. Yeah, they're really cool. They are so gorgeous. Yeah. If I wasn't so sure that Garrett Wong would bid on and win all of these props, <laughs> I would try for one myself. They're really great. It's like he has just like an endless supply of money for these auctions somehow. I know. So unfair. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. 
I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality, and there's a ton of variety. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options. And uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear? So behind the bar are the safety protocols and also Guinan's phaser. You do remember Guinan, don't you? Put it down. And when they are at phaser point to phaser point, it begins a paranoid conversation between them where the paranoia is shared on both sides. And as uncomfortable as it gets, it's a useful amount of uncomfortable that's going between them because that is the only way you're able to prove that the person you're with is a person and not a changeling. Right. And 
what is the most uncomfortable and personal thing that they can argue about that would also confirm their identity. It's their personal feelings about Rose's betrayal of him. Yeah. I thought this scene was so powerful. And it comes at the right point in the episode and sets up the rest of the episode so well because it's both like a scene about like the capture for figuring out if the person you're talking to is a real person and also a scene where these two characters are like willingly ripping off each other's scabs to get down to the crux of what broke bad between them. This is what I described in a previous episode as not just the knife, but the twist. Yeah. It's both things happening here. Ben, I'll go one further. I think this is one of the best written conversations in all of Star Trek. It totally crackles yeah. between them because both of them have so much at stake. Both of them have been so hurt by the other person. I believed in you. Only when it was easy for you. And it feels so real in a way that seems really hard to do without the characters interrupting each other, like in a Sorkin or a Tarantino written kind of way. Right. Like they both really have moments that are all their own, shots on their faces that are all their own. There's a surprising amount of air given to this conversation, and it's really amazing. It gives me chills to even talk about. Yeah, same. I mean, the characters are so alone in their feelings about both the like what happened between them and also in their fears, given the context of what's happening now. Yeah. And by like sharing their pain, they get back to being allies. Like, yeah, they like fight their way through that pain into a we're on the same side moment at the end, which feels like such a magic trick. It makes the question and answer at the end about if he trusts her and he says he does. That's the only way that that works at the end is for them to have bore their souls to each other in this way beforehand yeah. it can't be anything besides the depth of this in order to make that work because you don't believe it right man i wonder how much they thought about the pause that picard has when he gets yeah. that question because it's it does it is not a knee jerk of course i trust you yeah it is a like looking into himself and deciding yes i do yeah to choose to give moments time to breathe is one of the great techniques of this season of Picard. And I think we've seen it in a number of episodes Yeah, where it's, it's not just the busy patter of a television show. It's allowing a moment to exist without thinking of another thing. Well, Adam, I just have one question. Do you trust me? Yes. You hesitated. I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> they put their phasers on the bar. Yeah. I love that moment too. It's really good. Back on Metallus. They uh, have returned to the Sneed of the crime. Mm. Yeah. Turns out Crin and Sneed were closer than friends, closer than family. <laughs> they were blood bonded, Adam. And Crin won't let him go. Yeah, that is going to be tough for Worf and Raffi to come back from. They're not going to get useful shit out of Crin after that. 
Do you think in a cartel kind of way, a Klingon necktie is pulling out two Klingon tongues? (laughs) (laughs) Because there's a lot of like cartel type language here about like blood oaths and like the understanding that this is an execution that's about to take place. Yeah. And a really fucked up execution that I sort of wondered how they were going to play because... Like a couple of knives get dropped on the floor and they're like, uh, you know, one of you's going to die and it's up to the two of you to figure out which one. Yeah. And Worf is like, all right, here we go. Not hold back. Because I cannot. Worf, a heavy favorite who I would have also bet on. Yeah, a lot of money riding on on this. I guess uh, before Kryn and his buddies left their, their lair, <laughs> They had a conversation about how this might go, yeah. and a lot of wagers were placed. All I do is wage, wage, wage. No matter what. The fight does not go super well for Worf, and I wonder, do you read this as Worf having pulled the punch to sell this moment, or do you read this as Raffi having actually bested him? Well, there are a couple of things going on when the fight kicks off, because when Worf begins by talking to Raffi like a guy who's going to be the one to sacrifice himself. Like, I don't think there's any other way to read it. And then he pivots right into legitimately being willing to win the fight on his own <laughs> and, and like almost saying goodbye to Raffi before it kicks off. Yeah. Like I was confused as a viewer in a way that I think was useful in confusing Kryn and the gangsters, you know, like if I'm watching this and I've gambled on it, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> and Rafi, to her credit, sells it too. Like if they've pre-planned any of this, they are really great actors. Yeah. What did you think? Well, like I kept wondering because like Worf has redundant systems, so he can take a knife yeah. in a way that Rafi probably can't. Yeah. But like Kryn knows what Klingon blood smells like, so he's got to know that too. Right, but he doesn't necessarily know that Worf has mastered Kalos breathing. Right, yeah. Which is so great if you're in a hotel room and you don't have access to a belt and a plastic bag. Right, yeah. And, you know, having been under deep cover for as long as he has, presumably Worf has found himself in some situations where he'd like to get it on. <laughs> But the, the the environment he finds himself in isn't right. exactly yeah. conducive. He can engage in breath play in broad daylight. <laughs> I mean, this dude's been in Geminar prisons. Of course he can. Yeah. Breath play on the go is what Worf is capable of. And when Raffi stabs him in the gut, it felt very much like Worf was actually going to die here. Like, we learn later that we're manipulated like the gangsters, but... Watching this for the first time, I was like, oh man, final season of Picard, halfway through, they're going to kill a main character, right? <laughs> if It felt almost like right on cue right. that this could happen. And I think this is a show that's self-aware enough about that to place this moment in this part of the season. Yeah. But at the same time, I didn't feel like there was enough of a like tragic denouement to the scene to be like, oh fuck, like Worf is really dead. Like I didn't buy that for a second. <laughs> the music doesn't really sell it. Yeah. Raffi doesn't scream to the sky at Stovacor. Yeah. The air smells of of cotton candy. Nobody needs to be letting known a warrior is coming. Yeah. 
Because the warrior isn't coming. Yeah. Not until later. <laughs> Not until he's in a private place doing his K-less pre- <laughs> <laughs> That is a vintage greatest gen joke. That's like a pre-greatest really gen Ben and Adam Star Trek joke. It feels really good. <laughs> So the changeling conspiracy goes all the way to the top, Adam. Yeah. Commander Rowe is one of the only people who knows about this, and she's got field operatives running down leads for her. Hint, hint. But uh, she hasn't known who she could trust for a long time. There's more going on here than anybody on this ship realizes. And I really don't know who to trust anymore. She thinks that the Intrepid is basically loaded with golds. So she starts talking about Frontier Day and how the bulk of the fleet is going to be present and on display for that. And the theory that the founders are still looking for some technology or they stole some other technology in addition to the whole gun that, yeah. you know, the whole gun was just a distraction for. The the whole gun, not to be confused with the Horgon, mm. which makes other things disappear. Right. <laughs> Into holes. Yeah. You're available for something entirely different when you display your whole gun. One thing I wanted to talk about in this scene was just the unique instrument that a Michelle Forbes is in this moment. Yeah. This isn't to diminish Patrick Stewart's greatness in any way, but what Picard is made to do in this scene is react rather neutrally to some really heavy shit. And what Roe is laying on him is agitating herself in telling the story. And she's bouncing from the exhaustion that her life must be like living this way, surrounded by changelings, to the relief of having found a person she can confide with, to the reality of you know her professionally being boxed out of an investigation that she's in. She's all over the place. She's reactive and emotional and it's an amazing performance yeah it really is she has gone and saved a lot of the titan crew from further danger by moving them over to the intrepid although if they're if they're being body snatched over there it's not that safe God, the description of the fleet-wide transporter accidents was a chilling minor detail yeah. in her description of things. <laughs> One of the notes I wrote down in the scene is Michelle Forbes is so goddamn good. Yeah. Also, uh, I wrote down, you feel like she's doomed the second you see the earring. Yeah. Because uh, it's been noted that she's not wearing her Bajoran earring earlier in the episode and when she says her farewell to Picard and heads back to the shuttle it just doesn't seem good this is the part that was just so crushing was their goodbyes and that's what makes the second goodbye so awkward because like you've already said it once Mm. and it sucks like even if you're about to die during the second goodbye it's like well we already yeah we already had our thing earlier. Like you leave the restaurant and both couples <laughs> say goodbye to each other and then they both turn left and they're like, oh, you guys are parked this yeah. way too? Yee. This is another version of what happened between Picard and Roe 
in the 10 forward bar. The idea that Ro is able to be her honest self with someone she's close to and then turn around to the people behind her that she knows have a, a fair chance of being changelings and like zipping it back up again. Yeah. Like being serious Row again and getting back on that shuttle. We're leaving. Excuse us. Changing gears like that is just a magic trick that is so impressive. Yeah. you. When she turns around, you can almost see her like sucking the tears back into her tear ducts to not let them know. If I'm a changeling and I see that, I'm like, respect Knuckles. Yeah. Like that's... <laughs> That's a move only a changeling can do. <laughs> so Rose detail, it turns out, are golds. Like the she gets on her shuttlecraft and Picard and Riker head back to the bridge and tell Shaw, like, we need to get the fuck out of here. And Shaw's like, No, we're not getting the fuck out of here. A bomb gets set on the shuttlecraft and the security people get beamed out. And boy, there's this moment where Laren is on the view screen on the Titan. She realizes that she doesn't have time to turn around and get close enough to be beamed out or defuse the bomb or do anything. She can't save herself. So all she can do is buy them time. And this scene was fucking gutting, man. I was a total mess during this. Like, this is that second goodbye that Picard gets to articulate. And one of the tragedies is that, like, Rose's last words are about giving Picard that chance to fight. And when Picard asks her for forgiveness, she's dead before she can respond. And there's such tragedy to that moment. Yeah. And in that sacrifice, and when Picard is forced back into the chair beneath him, like, did you think of Kurt collapsing after the death of his son? Because I did. Yeah. That's how hard that hit. Yeah, man. This scene fucked me up too. This, yeah. <laughs> this scene is like, I, I don't think that this scene works if you don't earn it the whole episode. Yeah. But this episode earned this moment. And in an episode where it seems like Worf might have died, yeah. the idea that Roe actually did, and you see the difference between those two scenes, you see how it hits. Yeah. It's amazing. And like And one does not diminish the other. Right. Like they are so utterly different that that there is no effect between them. Right. The um whole theme of what was Rose loyalty, where does her honor stand given the choices she made throughout her life is answered all in that moment when her shuttle hits the nacelle of the Intrepid and turns it into a monument. That is a fucking amazing moment in Star Trek. I think you're right to contextualize it in all of Star Trek. I think it's one of the great Star Trek deaths of all time. Yeah. Because of what she meant to Picard and because of how noble her sacrifice was. It's one of the greats. RSVP Rolaren. Shout out to a real one. I, lo I loved the Wrath of Khan graphic when the shields go up on the Intrepid. We get like a close-up yeah. of the of the control panel and you see the little dots drawing themselves around. I love that shit. <laughs> so <Yes>. good. <laughs> Shaw has been like trying to re-re-re-re-re-arrest Picard and Riker and at this point abandons that and it's like, all right, well, I don't trust you guys, but obviously... That ship is about to attack us, so we better get the fuck out of here. Yeah, it takes a little bit of convincing, but Shaw finally gets on the page. Yeah. 
and like the warp away like instance before the torpedoes hit them is pretty epic. Yeah. Meanwhile, down in uh, a hallway, is that Jack Crusher walking around? Is that Jason Bourne <laughs> kicking the asses of all those golds? Jack Crusher can run to the end of the corridor in three seconds flat without getting winded. (laughs) And uh, he beats up four people with like a magazine and a ballpoint pen. Do you think that the extras beamed in behind the two changelings represent a knowledge about Jack Crusher that they're going to need more than two people to take him down? Or was that just incidental? Like, oh, God, there's a lot of changelings on board the Titan. Or do the changelings know about the idea of beaming so many guys into a space that nobody can run away? Yeah, yeah. They should have beamed 80 more changelings (laughs) into this corridor. Why not just go to goo at that point and just like goo around him? That is a really great question because Odo was strategically gooey (laughs) like the T-1000 in in parts when it came to apprehending suspects. Yeah. Yeah. Be interesting. What's wrong with these guys? Yeah. Why didn't they think of that? Jack Crusher is basically Wolverine in this scene, right? (laughs) Right. He takes them apart. He finishes kicking their ass and then has another veiny nightmare. And this time there's like a red apartment door at the end of the Mm -hmm. hallway, like a wood Mm -hmm. door with a door handle that doesn't go when it opens. What do you think that means? Is that Carl's hole? (laughs) Oh, good question. I was not thinking that. <laughs> I don't think it is, but uh, it sort of reminded me of Carl's Hole a little bit. It's too woody. Yeah. It's not stony. Yeah. A scary image. Yeah. Then we cut to Picard and Riker talking about Commander Rose earring. It turns out that this earring is, in fact, a USB stick, and it has her entire investigation on it, and is also like capable of receiving phone calls. I got to say... Of all the moments of incredulity I've ever felt watching (laughs) Star Trek, the idea that anyone would just answer a FaceTime without knowing who's calling, (laughs) I would never. (laughs) Who does that? You know, they are olds. Like, an old person would do that, Yeah, right? yeah. That's like the phone is ringing during dinner, and <laughs> yeah. your parents can't not get up and answer it, and you're like, exactly. just ignore it. Yeah. Uh, hey, Worf, not a good time to ask about Roe. Yeah. And another scene without dialogue that communicates a whole lot, right? It does. I mean, I don't know how much Worf knows about what Roe knew, but yeah. if he knows about the changeling element of it, this has got to be fucking terrifying for him, right? Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Back in Six Bay, uh, the bodies of these changelings are piled like gooey cordwood. (laughs) And Captain Shaw is just impressed more than anything at the mess that Jack has made. He's doing his uh, his sort of like wry Captain Shaw. I guess we'll uh, let the bodies uh, hit the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Beverly clears the room to talk to Jack one-on-one, and she presses him, not about turning into Wolverine, but uh, in a very motherly way about his lack of sleep. Yeah. You sleeping okay? Yeah. Your skin and bones, you need to eat. (laughs) It reminds her of a time when he was little and how little sleep he used to get then and all those nightmares that he used to have. 
Yeah. And uh, then she asks him how he knew that they were changelings that he had killed. And he admits to her that he didn't know they were changelings. He just killed them anyway. Uh oh. Mm. <laughs> you got lucky, Jack. <laughs> Yikes. The conversation turns and she's like trying to get something out of him. And, and finally she does. He admits to her that he is going through a thing. I'm like, what took Jack so long? This is the thing that makes Jack suspicious as a, you know, Manchurian candidate or not. Yeah. Is he hiding something because he's scared of the truth or is he hiding something because he's in on the secret that he's hiding? Right. Or some third thing. Or is it just like, this happened all the time in TNG. Like if if this character weren't so secretive about the thing they're going through. Right. You know, everybody could help them with their thing and it feels unmotivated that they would be so secretive about it. And it's like, I understand why it's a trope in movies and television. Like this is a thing with people dealing with addiction disorders. They often don't feel like they can share that they have developed a a dependence or abusive relationship with a substance. And so Mm -hmm. they, you know, become prone to concealing their use of it and like, dissembling about where they've been or what they're doing or whatever. And it becomes like a lifestyle thing. Like that really happens in real life, but I feel like in TV, it happens over things that it wouldn't really happen with. And I really hope that that's not what's going on with Jack. Yeah, that's true. But it felt good that that's out in the open to some extent now, because at the end of uh, an episode when a character has a terrifying hallucination and then it doesn't come up for a long time, that shit drives me nuts. Agreed. Agreed. But did this episode drive you in any particular direction, Ben? I think this is a really tremendous episode of this show and delivers on some of the promise of rebooting a character after a couple of decades in a way that I don't think that Picard has yet. The character of Rolaren is so freighted with emotional energy for anyone that watched TNG. Like the way she came aboard the ship, the way she left the ship are so intense and so heavy. And the like history between her and the rest of the crew are so operatic in scale that it's kind of stunning that they haven't brought her back as a character until now. Like, I'm I'm devastated that she's gone, but I also think that the character served great story function in the way she was used. So if uh, the rest of the season is as good as this, we're in for some tremendous television, I think. It's one of the all-time great cameos because it wasn't desperate, Right, like one of those cameos that that's like, all right, well, we're halfway through. We need to let's drop a surprise right. on our fans. It wasn't like break glass for Roe Laren <laughs> in an emergency kind of way. It was an instrument. It was a utility mm-hmm. for all the reasons that you stated. And it's so well served by the storyline, like the issue of trust being one of the main things about the character yeah. of Ro- Roe Laren. Like whenever... Roe Aaron is in an episode, the theme of trust becomes important. And like, this is the 
big episode about imposters and whether we can trust anyone yeah. in this season. So it's the cameo serving the story and the story serving the cameo and not just a, hey, look, it's the guy. You know this guy? <laughs> this guy. I think it also kind of reframes Picard in a useful way too because like so much of Picard as a character through the decades has been you know, the childless old man who, you know, has the respect of his coworkers. But like the reality is that he's been a father to not just Jack Crusher, but to a lot of people. And Roe is one of those people that he was a father figure for. And also to me and you and everyone else who looks up to him as a fictional character. And to watch one of his children die on screen was incredibly affecting in a way that if they killed Jack, that moment could never rise to the effect of what this was. Yeah. Because it was too freighted, like you said. I think this episode might be on my mountain of Star Trek episodes. Dang. It, it was really, really tremendous. And I want to say this. Cindy Apple was one of the writers of the episodes that I really did not like this season, the one where I thought there was kind of a manipulated Crimson Tide conflict between Picard and Riker. She's one of the writers for this episode. And I just want to say, like, one of the reasons that I love this episode as much as I do is is for its writing. Yeah. So both she and Chris Derrick, I thought, did an amazing job on it. It's good material, well-performed and well-captured. Yeah. Do you want to see if there's any good material in our Priority One inbox? I mean, now it's our time to perform, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Ben, our first message is from Emily, and it is to Matthew. The message goes like this. Happy five-year anniversary. Whoa. It's been a real good time, and I'm excited to do more as we continue to, embarrassingly, listen to Star Trek podcasts. And play Euro games into the night. <laughs> Thanks, Ben and Adam, for being part of our love of Trek. And then in parentheses, Matt, <laughs> I had to do it. What is it? What's going on? Wanna tie the knot? <laughs> you can reply to this message. <laughs> so, Ben, what we've got here is a P1 proposal. Wow. On really one of the great episodes to ever do one. My word. How did Emily know? Emily had impeccable timing <laughs> to get a proposal on a mountain episode. Let's see if Matt replies to them. Poor Matthew is looking at kind of a, a backlog of P1 messages in the episodes ahead. Yeah. Hopefully Emily's not going to be waiting too long. Maybe we send a message to Danny at the network that... Uh, yeah. Front <laughs> of the line for skip Emily. the line, maybe? That seems fair, right? Wow. Big moment. Yeah, I'll, I will grant Emily front of the line privileges for sure. And I'm sure anyone else in the queue would be all right with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the drive is next week, so we have at least two weeks before we find out if Matt is going to reply. <laughs> Oof. Like, the, the suspense is going to be absolutely devastating. <laughs> Very exciting time for us. Yeah, it really is. Adam, we have one more P1 here. It is from Rob, and it's to Ben and Adam. It goes like this. 
Your show is the best companion on all the travel I do for work. How about we meet in K-Town for some Parks Barbecue on me? Soju for everyone at Rob TV LA. Hey, this is Rob TV LA of the McLaughlin Group drop that we played on uh, Greatest Gen a few weeks ago. Right, Rob Hedrick. Yeah. From Los Angeles, the greatest generation, a Star Trek podcast from a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. For almost a decade, the wittiest minds, best dick and fart jokes, the drunkest talk. You know, we don't often accept invitations to hang with strangers, but we accept every invitation for Parks. Yeah, yeah, Parks Barbecue is is the easiest yes in the world. Boy, slide into the DMs at RobTVLA. We'll figure it out. Yeah, thanks, Rob. If you'd like to invite us to Korean barbecue or propose to your significant other... Or just talk about some European board games you're interested in playing. Yeah. You know where to do it. Maximumfun.org slash Jumbotron. They're a great way to support the ongoing production of the show. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? I think I'm going to give it to Shaw for the uh, nutting in your pants performance (laughs) when he finds out about the treason charges. Yeah, that's great. Good background, Larkin, for Shaw in that moment. (laughs) Like the funniness of Shaw as a character really continues unabated throughout this episode. The gleefulness, the just being like, wow, like Jack Crusher wasted a lot of bad guys here. (laughs) Energy at the end. This is just a very confident show about that character, right? Because if you cast him wrong... Or you write him wrong. This is a real clang of a character, and it's not. Shaw is a lovable captain yeah. for all of his flaws. He really is. Yeah. How about you? I'm going to go Michelle Forbes with mine. And the reason is this. What a chaos choice to pick up the phone and take this on. Yeah. If you're her, given... All she probably knew was season one of Picard. Not a lot to go on, if you're familiar with Rolaren. You know, like, what is season three going to be? Because season two and three of Picard were shot back to back. You got to wonder whether or not this is a, a good decision. It's been decades since you've played the character. You and I have heard all sorts of things about how it's not necessarily easy to pick up a character you've set down for decades and the challenges of that yeah for michelle forbes to choose to do this uh given the information or lack thereof i thought was a huge gamble a fucking respectable gamble but more than anything it was a gamble on herself and her greatness for that reason michelle forbes is my edward larkin for god maybe the last time which fucking sucks (laughs) because she's one of the greats yeah i hope we god we're not going to get her in flashback at all, are we? It's just done. Fuck. God damn it. Oh, she's one of my favorite characters of all time, and now she's dead? Oh. <laughs> well, Adam, we like to end every episode of Greatest Trek with a warning. Oh, yeah. I know what you're getting at. And uh, this, this episode is no different. You want to pick out a, a warning for the friends of DeSoto? Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning, boys. 
An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. This message comes from Mastodon. You know what a Mastodon is? Yeah, I'm on Mastodon. Yeah. This is coming from Kevin, and the message is about the season of Star Trek Picard. Message goes like this. It's clear to me that Star Trek Picard is being written at Ben and Adam. (laughs) It's a message. Back off on the blown out of the airlock thing, mother effers. (laughs) And this is in reference to the Miriam codec, which is now canon. (laughs) Glad we're all in agreement on that, Kevin. Do you think that if we back off on it and like try and be a little bit more chill and a little bit less thirsty, they're likelier to throw us a bone on this? I think better things happen in general when you're less thirsty. I don't know. Yeah, I'm down. I'm a squeaky wheel gets the oil kind of guy. I think we need to keep asking. Look, I'm content to be blown out of comic book airlocks uh, for time in (laughs) Mimirium. I mean, I think that that's pretty much guaranteed, but uh, I'd like to get on on the actual show. Also, like you get a Neistat cameo on here. I think we can get on this show. Yeah, come on. We're available. We're... Except it's the fun. Ben, it's the final season. And it's already in the can. It's in the fucking can. They're done. Oh. No, it's never going to fucking meet. Patrick Stewart get blown out of his airlock. It's going to have to be hands and mouths or something. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh. One of the great episodes of Greatest Trek. You can just feel it. <laughs> Uh, if you'd like to hear your words on the warning boys section, tweet or tusk. Is that what you do on Mastodon? Mastodate? <laughs> or uh, go on Reddit or uh, leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Anything you can do to get the word out about our show. Yeah, the social media bat signal can take many forms, but all of them will get the attention of Bill Tilly, our social media manager. Yeah, and we really appreciate it. All right, Adam. That's it for this episode. I am exhausted from this emotional episode, aren't you? I am as well. Uh, Why don't we let Wendy take over from here? Take this episode home. Yeah. Max Fun Drive next week. Please support us. Yeah. Please do. You never know when your time is up. No kidding. That's what I learned this episode. Trust no one. That's what I learned this episode. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. We'll be back next Friday with a review of Season 3, Episode 6 of Star Trek Picard. Really looking forward to that. And you heard the guys, it's Max Fun Drive next week. As an audience-supported show, the drive is really important, and it only happens once a year. So I hope you're already thinking about becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. And we really appreciate everyone who supports the show. We also want to thank Adam Ragusea for creating the original music for Greatest Trek. You can find his podcast and his YouTube cooking channel by searching for Adam Ragusea. Nick Dittmore created the show art and Bill Tilly manages the at Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram and Twitter. Make sure you're following those accounts and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. Pick up some merch at podshop.biz and check out the USS Hood Discord at drunkshimoda.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. But she can make very strong aspirate. What? 
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.